Welcome to a special broadcast of the Fleming Foundation's podcast series on learning Latin. Today we have a special guest, which is a, a, a young Latin teacher who has just embarked on a project of teaching middle school Latin in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, her name is Eleanor Lacey, or to give her a more full name, it's Eleanor Catherine Fleming Lacey, because in the interest of full disclosure, I will reveal that she is my daughter. Welcome to the show, Eleanor. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's nice to talk to you. Uh, I, I understand the you've been getting a bit of weather from Hurricane Matthew. Why, yes, we have. It's actually picked up this afternoon, and now we have heavy wind, and the UNC police are even saying perhaps people ought not go to the football game. Oh, that's, that's pretty drastic. I know. So my, my boys set off in their rain gear to walk to it, so they're not deterred. Yeah, I noticed from the films of downtown Charleston that they're, they're, they're walking waist-deep in water below Broad. So. Oh, my goodness. So you've uh, this is your first uh, time teaching Latin in a school setting. I guess you've done a little tutoring here and there. Yes. So t- tell us a little bit about it. You have uh, you have two sections. I do. I'm teaching an eighth grade section four days a week, and then a seventh grade section four days a week. And they both started out at the same place, of course, because no one in the classes really knew any any Latin. They're pretty much going at the same pace, so I haven't been able to go further ahead with one group over the other. We're using the Cambridge Latin course, um, Unit 1, the fourth edition, and we're doing about a chapter a week, maybe a little bit less. And I've been supplementing with some grammar because, as I think you know, the Cambridge Latin course doesn't give them much grammar. Um, at least not. I mean, it, you get little, right, you get little drips. Um, and my initial feeling with this program was that some of my eighth graders might want to go on to a higher level Latin course in high school. So before I started this, I contacted the area high schools and said, well, what would you expect from someone who might be testing out of Latin 1? And they sent me a list, and it's a fair amount of grammar. All the declensions, all the conjugations, in, not in the subjunctive, but in everything else, and you know, various other things like that. More than you would get if we just finished the Cambridge Latin course. So I started introducing things to them. I guess... Some of that is going well. My question is, what is there a good order for that? I, I took out a Wheelock's Latin course and just have been going in the order that that book introduces grammar. So you start off with, I think, the first conjugation and then the second conjugation, and then you get into the declensions and go one and two and then up to three, and then they start. That's about as far as we've gotten so far. Yeah. Wheelock is perfectly good. Um, uh, it's uh, designed as a uh, self-help course. It was, although it's been used widely in high schools and colleges, I believe it was it was designed originally uh, to be uh, you know learn Latin on your own. Right. It's a little skimpy on uh, some of the finer points of, of Latin grammar and doesn't have any writing 
exercise as much uh, from English to Latin. But uh, it has it used to at least the, the older editions had some of the answers in the back of the book so that you could check your work. That's not so good in a classroom setting, but uh, well, I'm the only one with the copy right now, so. Uh. Oh, believe me, if you were having tests on, if you're having uh, grades on Wheelock, that 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 would come to an end soon. Yes. But um, so the different books will take things at a different rate. The uh, you know some of the older high school Latin books would start off with the first declension, second declension, third declension. Um, I think uh, they used to more alternate between declensions and conjugations. But I, you know, what one you're going to be doing it all eventually and teaching teaching them the grammar, uh, and so it it the, the the exact order I don't think counts too much. Okay, so I've made them memorize declensions, and since in the Cambridge book they've only been introduced to the nominative and accusative cases, and so that rather limits what we can read. And now that they know that there are a total of five cases, or more if you count the vocative um, and locative, they want to know what those are used for, which is reasonable, but they're already complaining about this being really complicated. And so I'm wondering if I should, should tell them right away what, you know, give them brief definitions of what, of what each case is used for, or just continue to go at the pace of the Cambridge and explain the cases as they're introduced in that. You might give them um, a one-sentence description of each usage, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't get if if you're not going to follow it up, you know, by using it every day. There's really not too much point in going very deeply into it. One of the things about middle school students, of course, everything is really complicated, and this is over my head, and this is too difficult, and it, it gets worse. So by the time they hit ninth and tenth grade, they get even more uh, recalcitrant. Um, the Aristotle's famous statement that uh, man, by nature, desires to know. I think he was describing Greeks only. <laughs> because my experience with American students is the last thing in the world they want to do is to learn or know anything. Besides which, they've been told since they were four years old, they were geniuses who knew everything and really, you know, uh, they had it all by birth. Right. So um, get learning, g gaining the Socratic wisdom that you're really hopelessly ignorant is one of the great things that studying a foreign language uh, can do for you. Oh, my goodness, yes. And I will say, you know, though I had an excellent teacher myself, having to teach people Latin is making me realize, you know, I can, how little I really know. I can, I can read it, you know, and I know a lot of basic things, but... Um, Anyway, yeah, knowing, um, you know, there are obviously different levels of knowing a language. There's knowing to be able to speak it naively without uh, knowing any of the rules. I, in college, I had a friend who was a francophone Belgian. His father was a, was a cellist and symphony conductor, and um, his his native language was French, but he kept on funking French course courses because he never bothered to learn to spell. Oh, and, yes. Uh, so you know, he could speak it. He could speak it better than if, if I spent the rest of my life trying to get up my French. I would never have, uh, I would never be able to speak as well as Gérard spoke. On the, on the other hand, there's, there's uh, the kind of book learning you get from, from Latin, or the way I learned French in high school was I learned it as a dead language. 
But then, uh, and of course, and so they're speaking, they're studying, but teaching Latin is one of the ways it really um, puts it into your brain because then you have to know what you know. And all of a sudden people are asking you, well, you say you said the genitive case means X, Y, or Z, but what about this? And you and before long, you're consulting reference grammars. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes, no, and I like that because I think I've been coasting on being able to read pretty casually for a long time, and um, but this is making me have to remember the rules and and more than just the basic rules, which has been a good exercise. What uh, what reference grammars do you have? Do you have well, right now I have the Wheelock, which I think we only have because some Austin took it in college. And um, maybe that's all I have. I have a dictionary that's got some stuff in the back. But if you've got some suggestions for more, I'd love it. Yeah, the, simp the, the, the most elementary, there is a, a, well, there's Bennett's Latin Grammar, which is a moderate-sized book. There's the student edition, which is, I don't know, shorter Latin grammar, which is quite... You know, it's it's maybe a hundred, hundred twenty-five pages. It's there, there. It's just all grammar. There's just for, forms and rules. Um, but uh, Bennett was used. Uh, both both editions were used uh, very widely for about a hundred years. For um, uh, Gildersleeve and Lodge is very good, especially on verb forms. There's a lot. There's a lot of decent books. These are not. Books to teach you Latin, they're, they're uh, reference works to look look up questions and problems. So I'll see, I've got, uh, whenever I see them in bookstores, I pick them up. And, uh, and so I often have multiple copies. I used to have my college students uh, order uh, Bennett's, uh, the shorter student grammar. I'm not sure they ever used it, but I would reference it in class. I'd say, if you don't fully understand these uses of the dative read paragraphs, you know, 123, 125 uh, in, in your uh, student edition of Bennett. So that, because there's a lot more Latin grammar uh, than a lot of Latin teachers uh, wish to let on or perhaps know. One of the problems I've noted over the years is that if you look at standard Latin grammars, you learn, you learn all the grammar in the first year and a half that you're ever going to be taught formally. But there's enough Latin grammar to spend uh, to spend a, a semester out of every year, basically focusing on it. There, there's just much more to it than than uh, than they teach, and um, I and they do the same thing in in Greek. And I don't know why. I complained about this to my uh, graduate school chairman at Chapel Hill. I said, you know, grammar is one of the more serious things which a classicist can study. But I know that I note that we have uh, there's no advanced grammar classes, be in the undergraduate program at Chapel Hill or in graduate school. And I so this is an opportunity to learn uh, more and more. It was only in, in only in trying to devise a course that I started realizing, for example, all the exceptions to the rule that the second declension consists of masculine nouns. Yes, that's what I'm starting to discover, yeah. which is. But then I don't want to start explaining that no, to no, them because no. they're already upset that they can be masculine and neuter. And that's yeah. No, you don't. Uh, and in fact, uh, more recent editions of popular textbooks like Jenny's and Scudder, they will say, well, the second declension consists of masculine nouns, Greek city names, uh, which are feminine, 
and names of many uh, trees are feminine. Well, you know, you just don't want to burden them. You want them to, what you want them to learn initially is what covers 95% of it. Right, right. And in fact, one of the things I've tried to devise over the years in explaining grammar in any language, including English, um, like the, the rule for shall and will, uh, if you... I, I have a rule that will cover about 98% of the, of, the, uh, of the uses. It isn't as elegant or perfect or detailed as the rule the brothers Fowler give in the King's English, which goes back to before World War I. But believe me, it, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is very helpful in helping you to understand the historical usage of, of this. And the same thing goes in Latin. Get the big picture first. And then only when they think they really know it is it time to start uh, complicating it with details. Right. Well, I would say things are also complicated in my classes slightly by the variety of, well, of ability and willingness to work. So there are a handful of students who, either to whom it comes easily or who are doing the work. You know, I'm not sure which. Um, and then there are some who seem to grasp it easily but don't study and so make casual mistakes and then there are people who just don't do the work at all and so do badly and then there's some people who maybe are dumb so with that variety it's it's hard to uh you know I can't take the class altogether or it's it's sort of hard to so I it's hard to give the the quicker students what they could be doing when we're sort of struggling for some to keep up. Yeah, this is a perennial problem in a, in, a, in a graded school, and almost all American schools, except for Montessori and other experimental schools, are, are graded. In Once upon a time, like in the English system, the form system, which also had a, a counterpart in uh, American schools out here on the prairie or in the rural south, there, you were working at whatever level you had reached. So right. if you had a Latin course, let's say you're doing oh, the equivalent today of second-year Latin. You're starting in, in uh, the, the second-year Jenny or whatever. Um, you would have kids you know, from 10 years old to 14 years old in the class, depending on how, uh, how rapidly they'd work. And some people would just keep on repeating the same thing. Right. So uh, that solved that problem, really. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the graded school program. It was devised by educational theorists at the end of the 19th century. And I, don't, I simply, the idea is that people at a certain age will work at a certain rate. It's not true. Boys and girls learn differently, they, and they evolve, their brains evolve differently. We were talking about how different people learn in different ways and at different rates. And so the important thing is for the teacher to understand this. I think uh, initially you just try to keep them all uh, going. 
together as best you can. And then what you have to do, the, um, the, 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 the more active students have to be given a little bit of supplementary material. I thought you might like to look at this, you could say. You could find some little bit of Latin writing or some uh, bit of la Latin conversation to use, some, 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 some uh, supplements to keep up their interest and also then to allow them to develop at a faster rate. So uh, that's the, that, that, and so you can, for example, with the seventh graders, if you have uh, uh, this problem as well as with the eighth grade, then you can give some of those seventh graders some of the more advanced uh, grammar that you're giving to the older ones. Be right. Because there's really no, uh, no substantive difference, I think, in the ability of 7th and 8th graders to learn. In, 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 in South Carolina, I had a class of 7th and 8th graders on the one hand, and I had a, a class of college students uh, at the College of Charleston. And my, the 7th and 8th graders, because I could intimidate them more successfully, were actually doing a bit better than the college students. <laughs> well, I'm actually giving the 7th graders exactly the same, and they're doing much better than most of the 8th graders. Yeah. Part of that is just who ended up in the classes, but part of it is that they take it more seriously, and they're more afraid of doing badly. So, um, yes. Well, and that brought me to another question. I mean, is there anything, any real Latin, that's very, very simple? Yes. Uh, well, the answer is not really. But there are uh, there are some. First of all, don't be afraid of so-called made-up Latin, because some of the made-up Latin is is very good Latin. You know, it, okay. it's been it's been dumbed down. But it has to be older stuff. I'm I'm very fond of uh, Ritchie's Fabulae Faculies, easy stories, uh, which start out. Uh, very uh, simply, on the basis of maybe having got through half or two-thirds of a first-year Latin course, and then uh, they develop, but they tell, oh, I fr they, 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 a lot of them have been ripped off and, and slightly altered for a series of Latin textbooks, but things like Jason, the, the story of the Argonauts, okay. the early story of the Aeneid, uh, so that's that's one possibility. There's also um, some of the early Roman histor uh, some of the late Roman historians who give just a brief, uh, like uh, Eutropius and some of those people. But that'd be a little tougher. The easiest, really, uh, although it's not exactly the best Latin in the world from the classical point of view. But very familiar passages of Scripture, narrative passages from the Bible. I was wondering about that, particularly maybe towards Christmas time, if there were some simpler things that I, you know, I could give them vocabulary lists in advance to prepare them. But that might be a nice exercise for them to try doing. I I think so. When I was a student in, in high school and college, the teachers would have said no because. You know, they use quad for instead of ut or, uh, you know, they're, uh, they, they, the later Latin developed. It's not, they were being perfectly grammatical for the Latin of their time, but it was, it was colloquial and you can see it headed in the direction of, uh, of, of uh, vernacular languages. And, uh, but though you, we, we can find passages where there's, 
there's very little of that. So probably, and the Latin is somewhat more grammatical than the Greek New Testament, because after all, the version we have rewritten by St. Jerome, and it's been it made a few changes since then, but really what we have is Jerome's rewriting of an older Latin uh, version. Um, Jerome had perfectly good Latin and perfectly good Greek, uh, unlike the writers of the New Testament, whose Greek was, uh, well, <laughs> a little primitive. Uh, and in fact, uh, I, when I read the... Um, the last book of the Bible, the uh, book of Revelations, the Apocalypse, I it 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 uh, my, my head reels at the at the lack of at the lack of grammar and syntax. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm astounded that anybody had made sense out of this. So uh, whereas simple texts out of Mark and John, you know, where it's just straight narrative, right. Lu- Luke gets a little uh, little f- he gets a little uh, frisky. You know, and even in the even in the King James translation, there went out in those days a decree from Caesar Augustus. Well, that actually captures Luke has a somewhat uh, high-toned, uh, pretentious style, uh, whereas uh, Mark and John are very plain. John, in particular, clearly didn't know much Greek, so he had a very limited vocabulary. But they both write with vividness. You know. It's a sort of a Hemingwayan style, you might say. Short, short words used effectively, and um, things like the 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 low and and Matthew is usually pretty good. Things like the loaves of the fishes story or the birth story, these are, um, and especially since the students will n- know what the story is already, right. and right. that will make it very easy to have yeah. the drift of. Of the piece. Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm in favor, uh, despite my reservations about uh, about uh, the Vulgate Latin, which, by the way, is a, the uh, be- some of the Latin of the Latin Mass is extremely fine. Some of it is a little a little uh, uh, strange, but uh, but yeah, I I would and and of course they're not used to the Novus, they're not used to the uh, to the Tridentine Mass, so I wouldn't I wouldn't bother about that. But the Lord's Prayer. Oh right, no, we're already doing that. Okay. And I've um, and actually since there's a priest in Hillsboro who can do the Tridentine Mass, um, I've already asked the priests here if they can bring him down. Yeah. In our Latin class, <laughs> we may end up with a Latin Mass in Chapel Hill after all. <laughs> You know, it's for the children. Yes, anything for the children, and, and, exactly. and, including dangerous drugs, as long as long as it'll help them in school. Right, right. Um, yeah. No, I'm. You know, there's a we're, as the school is supposed to say a little prayer before each class begins. So we do ours in Latin. Good. Yes. Yep. Um, and most of them have it memorized. It's just there's. They, uh, after a couple of weeks of this class, some of the girls said to me, well, I thought we were just going to learn some, you know, numbers and animal names. You know, the, things, <laughs> <laughs> the things you learn when you take a language. Yeah, that, what, they, what they learned in, uh, in uh, sixth grade French. Yes, well, Spanish. Yeah, yes, Spanish. Yes, indeed. And I said, you know, that's not how you learn Latin. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You, Surprise! You, what you have to tell them is, and I, I always was very frank, I say, you know, someday you're going to be taking a college entrance 
test or a law board test or a military uh, test, and all of a sudden you're going to ace it while your friends who are just as smart as you are are getting are getting much lower grades. This may be painful. It's like calisthenics. You know, calisthenics is painful, but if you play football without getting in shape, you're gonna get you're gonna get hurt very badly. And this is this is something with which uh, five year old kids used to do once upon a time. Children, yes. yeah, children usually don't. Play. The younger they are, the more they're the more the more they're likely to fall for these lines because they're more trusting. But although today probably cynicism sets in by the age of seven. It, it well, let me think. Probably. Yeah. Though I, I wish, I mean, it's not a lie. When you read books about little English schoolboys 150 years ago, you know, they already knew their stuff by the time they were 12. They, they could read Latin because they knew all the grammar. And I wish there was some way of explaining that to these children because it's not impossible. No. No, but see, every other course they're taking unless they're in a really good science and math school where they will teach math seriously, but they don't teach anything. They don't teach geography. They don't even teach spelling anymore. You can't believe... No, 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 no. Yeah. They asked me if, if spelling would count. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I have some sympathy for these kids. Yesterday, I got this wild idea. Since we were going to take a trip to Wales in the spring, why don't I start learning Welsh? Good Lord. Well, at one point, uh, our friend Mike Hill gave you uh, a Welsh course, you know, with two very difficult tapes and a book. That's right. That's right. Well, I got that out. They're tapes, and so I had to drag out a, a, a tape recorder that I could only use with headphones. But then I found online a, a, a series of things called Learn to Speak. They're free, and there's Learn to Speak both dialects of Welsh, northern and southern. So I had to decide which one I wanted to speak. I hope you went for the southern. No, the southern is where is uh, southern is what's spoken in in the more populous part of the country in the south, where they tend to speak less Welsh. So the oh. northern Welsh uh, spoken up on the coastline, you know, going up to uh, that way, is uh, is a little bit more melodious in its vowel structure. I mean, they're, they're both dialects are perfectly mutually intelligible. You know, but uh, you know, it's like it's like Massachusetts versus Alabama. But in this case, as in so often in Britain, the 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 North is the South, and vice versa. Right. So right. the Scots are to the English what Southerners are to Yankees. So similar, I'm, I'm exaggerating in the case of Wales. You know, it's it's not the size of a normal uh, American state. But um, there is a there is a big difference. But they they never gave up Welsh in the north. But they were in the process of getting industrialized in the south when the Welsh revival came. There are still large numbers of people in northern Wales for whom Welsh is the first language. Wow! It's not so a ma- not a majority. Right. So I decided. So I started learning how to say I'm try I am trying, uh, Dwin Tria. To speak Welsh, Shirad Kumraig. Now this is this is horrible to be my age and trying to pick up this rather alien language. Yes, I, I just want to be able to walk in the way you know in, into a into a into a hotel or restaurant and say you know Bora da, yeah, good day, <laughs> and uh, and and at least it shows you're on their side, right? Whatever side that might be, right. The side of Wales. Yeah. Of yeah. Week. Yes. <laughs>
Well, uh, if you, do you have any more serious questions, or should we po- po- postpone further questions to future podcasts? I'm trying to think of any. I think, well, I don't think I have any further All questions. Right. Do you have any general advice that you haven't already imparted? <laughs> no, just um, what, just, just, I think always... To, to, with today's students, it's not like in the old days where you got to beat them. Uh, no, I I told them that that's what I wanted to do, and they they laughed at me. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you have to you 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 have to be a little bit goofy, a little bit a little bit lighthearted, a little bit indulgent. Like uh, your your namesake uh, Eleanor Rutledge used to uh, we used to parody our Sanskrit teacher who he would he would ask a question and. The classic students, the Greek and Latin students, always got the answer right, but the linguistic students never got it anywhere near because they they, they only learned theory. And so they'd give some preposterous answer, and he'd say, almost, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I guess he didn't take off for spelling. But uh, okay. but uh, but I, we that is obviously going much, much too far. But, uh, and I believe he came to an unhappy end. But... Uh, <laughs> But, but uh, a certain amount of combining severity with cheerfulness is, I think, uh, the, the, the difficult balance. I always used to sort of, when I taught kids this age, I would sort of uh, pretend to be very friendly, very, but I'd also say, you know, if you fail, don't think it's going to hurt my feelings, because it won't. I, I, you know, I'm here to teach you Latin or, or whatever it was. If you don't want to learn, that's your business. But then you're going to have to talk. But if you think that you're going to get me fired, well, I don't like teaching you anyway. So <laughs> that have got nothing to lose. And you do have a lot to lose, like your privileges and your television and everything else. So let's just roll up our sleeves and get this done together. Yeah. And they, right. they thought I was crazy, frankly, until they started getting Fs. Right. And then, and then because they thought, well, he's so cheerful. And I'd talk to them about their lousy rock and roll music or whatever it was. I'd say, but oh, but we could talk about this all day, but don't think it's going to slow us down because tomorrow you're having a test on this chapter. Would you, right. if you, you want to talk about Mick Jagger? I'll talk about Mick Jagger. But, um, uh, other, <laughs> but that's not going to help you pass the test. No. So, well, I, I think I'm feeling my way towards that. Um, Trying to be stern where it's important, but cheerful otherwise. And you know they can't fire me. This is essentially volunteer work. Yeah, Yeah, it's a great ace in the hole to have nothing to lose. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been fun, and we'll schedule another, uh, another bonus class in our series on Latin. I urge everyone who has enjoyed this podcast to read the, uh, I think we have five or six Latin podcasts that I've done with Stephen Heiner, and we'll be uh, continuing this series of dialogues with a Latin, young Latin teacher as a supplement to that. Excellent. Well, I've enjoyed it, and we'll try it again soon. Good. See you again.